0: we are continuing our study of the piety of the psalms and we have not yet gotten out of the first section of that study which has to do with the God-centeredness of the psalms and we have looked at that in terms of God's attributes, his works, his word, his His worship and now we're looking at uh, his presence, uh, the seeking after of God's uh, presence. So just as a bit of a reminder for, from last week. That looks awfully blurred to me. Um, so what I, um, what I was pointing to last time, Exodus 40 verse 34, is an example of a pattern that, that is repeated uh, over and over again. It's a new machine. It is. is I'm, it, I'm just gonna see doest, do what going to. Without doing it quietly. Exodus, uh, Exodus 40. Uh, beginning, beginning in the earlier chapters of um, the preceding chapters, at least going back to chapter 30, in, in Exodus you have um, you have all the details of. of um, of what, of, of what the tabernacle is to consist and the completion of the uh, erection of the tabernacle and, and then come these words, uh, then, this is uh, Exodus forty thirty four. 34, the, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Uh, so when you think in terms of the uh, various uh, n- names of of the temple itself it 's god 's house it 's god 's dwelling place um, that uh, that uh, emphasis is being given that in, in a sense <coughs> we we need to recognize that fellowship with God is really the point of it all mm-hmm. so if if the means of restoring that that uh, fellowship is covenant. So I'm thinking now in terms of what ties the whole Bible together. I think covenant ties it all together. It's by a uh, covenant with, uh, with Abraham and then his descendants that the Savior comes into the world and establishes the new covenant, which is the re- really just a renew- renewal of the old covenant um, through his blood. This is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you for the remission of your sins. This is what ties all of that together. All of God's redemptive work is in and through covenant. So if that's the means, what is the end? (coughs) The end, I would argue, is fellowship with God. Restored fellowship with God is the whole point of it all. So you have the whole apparatus of of, of sacrifice that's established and the priest and the priestly garments and the washings and the, the altars and the tabernacle, then that is succeeded by the temple. What is the point of it all? And the point of it all is to restore the fellowship that God had with man back in the garden. When Adam walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. So that, that fellowship <laughs> is uh, disrupted, that fellowship is terminated. Uh, to, to what uh, to, uh, and uh, uh, that fellowship ends, and, and, and Adam and Eve, they no longer enjoy fellowship with God. They're alienated from God. They're enemies of God. Um, the promises of the gospel is made in Genesis three fifteen and sixteen. See to the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. That's that's the key to uh, the restoration. That program of redemption then is put <clears throat> be put into place. Uh, initiated in Genesis 12 with the covenant that God makes with Abraham. All right, so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, uh, the monarchy, the return from exile, once uh, 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 the, 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 the destruction of Ju- Israel and, and, and Judah takes place, we go off to Babylon, return from exile, Ezra and Nehemiah um, to prop through the prophets, and then John the Baptist, and then Jesus arrives. And what is the point of it all? The point of it all is to restore fellowship with God. Uh, so when you get to the Book of Revelation, that's what we see. You come to Revelation twenty-one. <coughs> I don't know why I'm suddenly coughing, but I am. <coughs> Revelation twenty-one. Verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be them as their God. So that's where you see the completion of the purpose, the point, the aim. The means is covenant. The aim is the restoration of fellowship with God. So last time we looked at how in God's worship, God's presence is enjoyed. And so there's this longing to be in, in, in worship with God. So we saw that uh, with um, Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place. We saw that with Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of God. We saw that with Psalm 95, oh come let us worship and bow down. Verse 6, let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture. Uh, so that's that's where we left off. Uh, the point of the worship with God is God's presence with the people of God. but I want to really zero in on that this time and and underscore the, the, the blessedness of that presence. <coughs> David in Psalm 42 one and two is as the deer that pants for the flowing stream so plant, so pants my soul. Uh, for you, O oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? That's just another way of saying, when will I be in his presence again? When will I know that presence? When will I enjoy that presence again? I'm longing for it. I'm, my soul is panting for it, like the deer that's panting for the water brook. And he recalls. That, those, those, those times and places where he enjoyed that presence. Yeah, thanks. That may or may not help. Yeah. Um, so, so we refer to Psalm 42 too. With these things I remember I pour out my soul. I would go with the throng and lead them in procession in the house of God. So what he's, what he's longing for uh, is to be back in the presence of God with the people of God in the house of God. He he was in that procession with the multitude at a time of, uh, of festival. So the throng imagined some way, you know, the people. Well, when uh, you know when the when the Ark of the Covenant was was taken from the home of Obedidim and, and and restored to the uh, the tabernacle, there was a great parade. There was a great procession. He was part of that and leading that procession and then back into the house of God with the people of God where they enjoy the presence of God. Um, you see the same thing in 1 Kings 8 at the time of the uh, completion of the temple. Uh, when, when everything is uh, div- com- 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 uh, completed and dedicated, then the glory of God fills the temple. So it's, it's the point of it all. It's the point of the tabernacle. It's the point of the temple. It's the point of the new covenant. It's the point of, of uh, the, the whole work of Christ, is to restore fellowship with God. So, 1 John 1, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Uh, that's how he characterizes the Christian life, is that we now have uh, fellowship. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, this cup that we drink, is it not a sharing or a, a fellowship uh, through his blood and through the, the bread? Uh, so th- anyway, this, this is, this is, we see this over and over again in the Psalms. So let's just go through some of these because I, I think they're very informative, and I think they have everything to say with the way that we approach worship and what, we're, what are our expectations and hopes when we gather with God's people for worship. And I think our expectations and hopes are really mm-hmm. going to shape the attitude and outlook that we bring into the worship service itself. What am I expecting to happen? What am I expecting to experience? Um, so Psalm 43, 3 and 4, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Uh, let them bring me to your holy hell, hill, to your, your what? Your dwelling. Uh, the temple's not just a building, or the tabernacle tabernacle's just, not just a tent. It's a place where God actually dwells, where, where he is present. So I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. This is the language of experience. He, he, he's speaking of, of that uh, which he experienced, and the joy that the joy that he experienced um, in, uh, in, the, in the house of God, the dwelling place of God, with the people of God, in the presence of God. Uh, Psalm sixty three is a, another Uh, crucial, crucial ones. By the way, how many of you love the movie? Uh, well, maybe you didn't love it. Maybe you just saw it. The movie Patton. You remember Patton? Do you remember? You love a movie like that? <laughs> please describe So, okay, I will. <laughs> Greatest locker room speech ever. You yeah. Know. So I, I, I've seen it several times, and uh, on the way home. Flying home from California yesterday, so went up there to see my mom and my sisters. Flying home I decided all, most of what the, they ha- they offered was just junk. So I decided I'd look at the go through the highlights of patent that I could remember. So I was fast forwarding to the highlights and when he goes into the church building after he is disciplined by Eisenhower for slapping the soldier. What psalm does he recite from memory? Psalm 63. The entire psalm from memory. They have, they pre, at least they pre, present it in that way. Um, so, so Psalm 63, o, o God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. What, now what, what lies behind a statement like that? What what is what is the nature of his experience and how what deep is it, huh? Relationship. Deep, deep experiential mm-hmm. awareness of the of the presence of God that is deeply deeply satisfying, and he mm-hmm. longs for that. Um. So, he so he earnestly seeks it. So again, how does this inform what what uh, the way that you approach coming to a worship service? Uh, Should one not be earnestly seeking after the knowledge of God, the presence of God, fellowship with God, the experience of that presence is something that his soul thirsts for, his flesh faints for. I mean, this is strong, strong experiential language that expresses the longing and the, 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 the aspirations of the soul in a dry and weary land where he is no water. So the superscription for Psalm 63 places him in the desert, or the wilderness, which, as you know, the wilderness in the Middle East is a desert. Um, so that the, the, the land there becomes a metaphor for his own soul. The land is hot. The land is dry. The land... Uh, uh, spend much time in, in that place, and your soul is wearied by that. So... Physic- physically what he experiences becomes a metaphor for what he experiences spiritually because once again likely either being pursued by um, Saul or being pursued by Absalom he's, he's, he can't join with God's people in their worship in the temple and so it's like a dry and a weary land where there is no water well, what is? Well, that's the condition of his soul that's the spiritual reality that he's dealing with. It's dry. His soul is fainting because he's not where God is. He's not enjoying that presence. So we understand God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But is there a particularly blessed presence in connection with the temple? Does he not manifest his blessed presence and the awareness of that presence... In a, in, a, in a particular way in a un, unique way in a profound way in the temple with God's people and the church I will remind you First Corinthians 3 we are the temple of God so God dwells in the midst of his people Jesus says where two or more are gathered in my name I will be there so you, you see the continuity in all of this I will be there That's presence again presence that's the point of it all So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. There he is. He's remembering previous times when he had been in the temple and where that thirst had been satisfied and that flesh had been strengthened, as it were. Again, these are metaphors where he wasn't seeking, but he was experiencing and what he had sought had been fully realized. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love, verse 3, is better than life. It's better than life, better than life itself. Nothing in all the world is superior to experiencing the hesed, the, uh, the, the the loving kindness, the steadfast love of God. My soul will be satisfied, he anticipates, as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. So we have a a number of others that we should recall together. Still pretty fuzzy, isn't it? It's a good thing we got this new machine here. It really kind of looks like an old machine. Um, all right Psalm 16 I say to the Lord you are my Lord I have no good apart from you That's um that's that's the outlook of the people of God I have no good apart from you If I don't have you nothing is good nothing is right in life apart from God Everything every, everything else is just temporary and superficial and external uh, and corruptible my soul will be satisfied where, where, where did I jump Yet, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food again there's the, the language of the senses that are used uh, used here in um, Psalm 16 as it was in Psalm 63 as it was in Psalm 42 the language of of the senses of being um, providing the metaphor for what is experienced in the soul So so doesn't Jesus pick up on all this, by the way, when he says, I am the bread of life? It's the same thing. It's the same basic truth that's being expressed. He's the bread of life that satisfies the hunger of the soul. He's the living water that quenches the thirst of the soul. That is the point. A relationship with God in Christ that brings deep satisfaction, that can be analogous to that which comes from a rich, full meal for one who was hungry or for refreshing, cool water for one who is thirsty. Um, you may have heard me before talk about uh, when I was in elementary school. You know, we had Indian summers in Southern California where that's what they call them. I don't know what they call them. Columbus summers probably or something. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, we'd play at, at lunchtime on the hot blacktop. We had like an hour for lunch and we you know... The boys, which is stuff the food down our faces and then run out and play kickball, and we'd be, be 100, 100 and plus degrees. And what happens to these Santa, Santa Ana winds come off of uh, the desert? They reverse the normal pattern of the the winds blowing from the ocean in to the winds blowing from the desert out. And so it would dry everything up. And that's why you get these brush fires, the fire season in Southern California, because they just dry everything out and it becomes extremely flammable everything is flammable so anyway we'd come in off of the field first of all with our smog cough which was that was just a daily thing back then you, you know the fog was smog was so thick in los angeles uh it would you would if you played out for an hour or so you would you would have this painful cough as a result but anyway getting to the point we would all then line up behind the water fountains, and there was nothing so wonderful as that refreshing, cool water on those hot days with your dry, you know, body-craving, mouth-longing for the, the water to refresh. Anyway, the, the water as a metaphor is a very, um, you know, it's a very sense, sense sensible, sensuous Uh, experiential metaphor for the refreshment that comes from the presence of God so he goes on uh, you make known to me the path of life in your presence is the fullness of joy there's that uh, word itself at your right hand are pleasures forevermore no they're not the pleasures of this world they're not external they're not superficial um they are not. Uh, they are not bodily. They are spiritual. They're the. This is the the refreshment of the soul, the rejoicing of the soul, the um, the invisible pleasures. Okay. So even even human relationships help us to understand that. this, I think. Uh, think of a good marriage and then contrast that with a bad marriage. The good marriage so much is wonderful and happy when there's love and. And then, and then think of the moments when that marriage is, there's alienation and conflict. The, 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 all of life is terrible when the relationship is wrong. All of life is wonderful when the relationship is right. As I tell Emily, I can take on anything in the whole world as long as you're there with me. And if you're not there with me, nothing is right. Uh, so we, we understand that. If those who are loveless, they may have big mansions full of wonderful things and have the latest automobiles and the largest wardrobes and everything this world has to offer, and they will be utterly miserable without love, right? Love's invisible, though. It's not, uh, it's not physical. It's not material. It's invisible. So we understand that the greatest things in life are not material, um, there's no replacement for the invisible things of life, namely um, love and right relationships. Uh, so a right relationship with God, the source of all that's good, is the key to all that is good for us. And, and, it, and, and it's good at a, at a deeper, more profound, lasting uh, way than anything in this world ever could be. Uh, Psalm 4-7 uh, You have put more joy in my heart than they, talking about the unbelieving than they, have with it, with, uh, than they have when their grain and their wine abound There's the contrast They have the grain and the wine So that's, you know, that's a symbol of wealth They're prosperous, they're wealthy They've got all the bread and the wine and the food and the, everything this world has to offer But the psalmist knows God you put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. We're able to rejoice in the Lord always. It doesn't matter the circumstances. So Philippians, you know, the fourth chapter—that's what the Apostle Paul says. He goes and talks about, you know, whether it's in plenty or in want. Uh, when life is abounding, when he's abased, I've learned to be content in all my circumstances. That's uh, that's the life of the believer. Because if our relationship with God is right, then everything's right. If our relationship with God is wrong, nothing is right. Uh, psalm 21.6, for you make him most blessed forever. Uh, you make him, Psalm 21 uh, is a royal psalm, um, you make him glad with the joy of your presence. Uh, this is about the king, the king. Uh, what's true of the king is true of us. Uh, you make him glad with uh, you, you make him most blessed forever you make him glad with the joy of your presence presence um, Psalm 34 8 oh taste and see that the Lord is good uh, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him again the, this is an invitation to taste this, the language of the senses and what, if you do taste what will you find you'll find that he's good and you'll find that that is satisfying. Psalm 90, 14. Satisfy us in the morning with what? Chesed, your steadfast love. That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Uh, Psalm 105, 4. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Then Jesus, where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I among them so why would i want to never miss a worship service why would i never want to miss because jesus promises to be there we're gathering in his name he's promised he's going to be there why would i miss that so what would supersede that in importance what what possibly could i mean honestly what tell me tell me what it is That would be more important than being with the people of God and the house of God in the presence of God. um, A a presence that is promised, that is unique and distinctive, not just his omnipresence, but his blessed presence. Mm -hmm. What, What takes precedent over that? What would keep me from being there? Isn't that the right question? I mean, if I'm thinking right, isn't that the way I'm thinking about, about everything? Thinking about life, about church, about everything that goes on in life. If I'm thinking right, I would ask myself that question What would be worth missing? Was it last week or the week before I told the Super Bowl story? I mean, really, it's just, to me, it's. I know was a time in my life where I think I would have given a different answer. When I was a teenager in, in my early 20s, but today, the Super Bowl, who cares? Compare that with a Sunday morning here? I mean, why? I mean, it's, I mean, I'm not you know for me personally, looking back, it was very it was very, very hard to give up Sunday football. Very, very hard. Because one of my favorite things in the whole world to do was to come home from church, uh, and then um, throw a couple of pillows down on the shag carpet. We all had sh- who had a shag carpet in the 1970s, huh? huh? It was a yeah. It was. It was like a yellow orange shag carpet. You have some Jimi Hendrix Black Lives posters? No, I didn't. Didn't go that far, Frank. You were more of a pagan than I was, apparently. Uh, But uh, they didn't have a (laughs) lava lamp either. Um, But anyway, throw some pillows on the floor, put on the game, watch and fall asleep watching it. And it was just one of life's great pleasures. And it was very hard for me to give up. but, uh, But, you know, 40 years later, it's just like, who cares? That's the way I think about it now. And I think that that's, I think that that's the right way to look at it. I mean, really, it's a game. It's not that important. It's uh, Why would I be so emotionally invested in that, that I wouldn't want to be with God's people in the temple of God, which we become when we gather, with the people of God in the presence of God? Why would I miss that? Um, let's, let's keep going here. Um, so we come to the conclusion then Uh, of this foundation stone of of the piety of the Psalms, um, we are together seeking the glory of God. So it's the attributes of God, the works of God, the word of God, the worship of God, the presence of God, all for the glory of God. Kavod is the Hebrew word. Kavod, meaning, um, the root meaning is that which is weighty and heavy and, uh, and then honorable and glorious so it's used 64 times in the psalms he is high and lifted up so David Wells in one of his books the trilogy that became a, what's a, what's a what's, what do you have after when you go to four if you have a trilogy but then it becomes four A quadrilogy? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, excess. Uh, Yeah, somewhere he talks about the weightlessness of God in Bible believing evangelical churches these days. The weightlessness of him. He he is not substantial in our thinking today. Um, That's, I think, an insightful thing to say. When you go back to the actual meaning of the word glory in Hebrew, it's weightiness. There's some, he, he is substantial. Um, so Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory Do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of, of holiness. He is himself glorious, and therefore we are to ascribe glory to him. We don't add to his glory. We merely recognize it. The same way we don't ascribe gender to babies, we recognize it. <laughs> we recognize reality. So it is with God. We we don't. Um, we we recognize that glory that He has. Uh, Psalm fifty-seven, five: Be exalted, O God, above the, the heavens. And let Your glory be over all the earth. Wonderful aspiration. Repeated a second time in Psalm 57. We sing that psalm uh, to the tune Germany. Be thou, O God, exalted high, and let thy glory fill the sky. Okay. Uh, psalm 72 19. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. So we sing that at Christmas time. Do you recognize it? And blessed be his glorious name. Okay. Psalm 96 3. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. Psalm 38 5. For great is the glory of the Lord. So as we go through the Psalms, as we go through the Psalms, uh, we find that his name, his deeds, his power, his kingdom, His city are all identified as glorious. We're told that the heavens declare his glory and that he is the king of glory. Psalm 104, uh, one through four. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. Covering yourself with light. As with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chamber on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messenger's winds. His minister's a flaming fire. What's that that reference again? 104. 104, 1 through 4. So that that then brings to conclusion this section of the Psalms or this theme from the Psalms. They're God-centeredness. Attributes, works, word, worship, presence, glory. So we're going to push on then um, next week to the Psalms are sober about humanity. They recognize that uh, man is both great and fallen. Great and fallen. Psalm 8. So Psalm 8 places man at the pinnacle of creation with the charge to exercise dominion over creation, and yet the psalm also says, What is man that you are mindful of him? Uh, Two great examples in the last few weeks of the, the greatness and yet tragedy of humanity, I thought, was one was the cellist in the ruins of Kharkiv playing his cello, the ruins all around him. And he was playing a Bach cello piece. I don't know if you saw that. And then the other one was um, in, in, um, I think it was in Kiev. I have to go back and look at my notes, um, playing Beethoven's third symphony, the heroic heroic symphony, again, amidst the ruins. I mean, the ruins, there's humanity and the ruins of humanity and yet the greatness of the music um, that we're able to create. Man is great, but man is fallen. All right, questions, comments. Yes, Ephesians five, Colossians They talk about um, singing um, to one another. Are there songs that talk about how God uses the the effect of the fellow worshippers to draw us? To? Well, I think that's the point, One of the points of of not just um, seeking God in private. But these Psalms is recalling the great congregation and, and going to the house of God the dwelling place of God with the people of God is yes uh, yes there is a difference between what my prayers in the closet Jesus commends closet prayers they're important you go into your closet you should be doing that daily our Father you know who art in heaven give us this day as a daily prayer so that, you know daily closet prayers are, are commended and important but there's something very unique, <clears throat> distinctive, wonderful about us together that can't be replaced, that can't be duplicated. That's why we push so hard against the pandemic restrictions and only partially ever complied. I mean, we got, you, if you don't know, I called the governor and I called the mayor and said, we're gonna keep meeting with 50, you know, when they were banning everything. I said that's our plan. I didn't ask for permission. I just let them know. They both they both got back in touch with us and said okay. So I didn't violate. We didn't violate Romans 13. Um, we put but we pushed the envelope and we made sure that we were doing everything that would be permitted. Um, why? Because it's so important that we gather. We are we are the church when we gather. We can't fail to gather and. Some of these crazy churches out there who are willing to not gather for a year or more—I just, I just don't even—I I don't know what universe they're living in. How can you possibly justify that? That's the destruction of the church, and I, I think we're going to reap the, the ruins of that for years to come. So, I, I haven't seen numbers recently, but I saw them a couple of a couple of months ago about the drastic decline in church attendance that continues. Continued up to that point. Churches are at fifty percent. We're basically back at a hundred percent, and even better than a hundred percent. But that took some effort. You know, we had to keep meeting. We had to keep pushing, push the envelope as far as we, we could. Why? Because this is so crucial. The church has to gather, and, and we're really our souls just suffer We languish when we when we fail to do so. And yet. Um, Familiarity breeds contempt, and uh, I'm, I think back to what you were saying a couple weeks ago about working for Deacon's Moving Company, You're literally killing your back. Um, and how do you uh, personally keep uh, weeds and thorns from growing in your study of God's Word, where you for a living? Pick it apart, analyze it, 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 so that it doesn't become something uh, distant or detached. How do you how do you keep that expectant thirsting and hunger and appetite? Uh? Okay, so I, I recognize that problem, and I had that problem my fourth year of seminary. Um, I had just been in an academic setting too long. And an academic approach to scripture, and my soul dried up. Um, and and I, I I decided that having a quiet time was legalistic. So I experimented <laughs> with not having it at the same time. I've been in the academic setting for four years. That was a that was a disaster. So I learned my lesson. And so uh, I, I the way I find it is just by being disciplined it's every day. Every day it's a priority. I get up early. Uh, before anybody can bother me and uh, especially important there were five children in the house Um, and and, uh, i i read the bible and i pray and i usually read a section from one of the puritans Um, and that's really like um um, what's the name of the, the daily devotional that um no not that one but what banner of truth but um voices from the past that's a great place to start. Voices from the past, it's just a one page reading. They are wonderful. Um, and, and then, since then, I've taken on the, uh, something I wish I had done for the last 35 years, but I've only done the last five years, which is I read about three pages from one of the pre urgent heavyweights every morning. Uh, Gurnall's Christian in Complete Armor, for example, is breathtaking. Every page. <coughs> Page after page after page after page, it's it's just phenomenally insightful and illuminating and inspiring and challenging. It's just incredible. Um, And Charmak's Existence and Attributes of God, and Squinick's The um, 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 Incomparableness of God. Yeah. All right, we gotta go. What about OC? That's what. It's not. It's not. It doesn't require. <laughs>